Hello and welcome to Lore Watch, a roundtable freeform discussion about lore in the games of Blizzard Entertainment. I'm Ann Stickney, one of two lore-focused writers from Blizzard Watch, and I've got both of my wonderful co-hosts with me today. First up, he's the other lore columnist for Blizzard Watch and a lore aficionado in his own right, and that would be Matt Rossi. Hey Rossi, how's it going? It's it's okay. I've I've been playing a non-Blizzard game this weekend, but we won't talk about that. I've also been um, reading up on Overwatch because I've been watching um, the Man at Arms show. Yes. And they've, they've been making Overwatch stuff. They made the uh, Genji Sword a while back. Yes. So I've, been, I've watched that and thought about that one for a bit. But we're not talking about Genji today, so we'll see what happens. Uh, yeah, I got an Overwatch column overdue that I need to finish writing. Maybe I'll do that for Know Your Lore this week. Not sure yet. Anyway, uh, our other column... Or- other columnists. Our other co-host is with us today as well, and that would be our other lore aficionado and shaman columnist, Joe Perez. Hey, Joe. Well, hello, everybody. I can't talk today, I, I think. It's That's just my okay. problem. <laughs> it's been a really long day. It's been a really long weekend. I've been remodeling my home this weekend. Not not the easiest activity in the world to do. Anyway, uh, so we're here. We're here to record the show. We talked. We touched briefly on Chronicle Volume Two last week, and we talked about spoilers, and we talked about the difference between retcons versus just changes to existing lore and that kind of a thing. And at the end of that podcast, we said, "Go ahead and send us emails with your Chronicle Two questions because." why not? It's all fair game now. Um, If you haven't read Chronicle Volume 2, you may want to come back later for this one because we are going to be talking about it in more detail. We're going to be answering people's questions and there's going to be spoilers all over the place. Keep in mind this is all ancient history, but you know, if you want to read it first in Chronicle Volume 2, by all means go do that and then come back and say hello to us. Um, So our first email that we've got here is from Julian, a.k.a. Baragorn of Cadgar, who has a fairly lengthy question, but we're going to go ahead and answer it anyway, because we're just going to split it up here. Um, so Baragorn says, Hello, wanted to follow up with a question for Lore Watch now that I've read most of Chronicle Volume 2. And my apologies for the multiple questions. No worries there. Now that we know Blackrock Ore is remnants of Grand and is titan-touched in nature, do you think it could have could have affected the orcs similarly to how Serenite affected some people? Serenite, as I understood, may have helped make Arthas crazier, and people could hear the old god. Is it possible the orcs could hear or maybe feel the rage and power of Grand through the Blackrock Ore? Would that explain where their bloodlust comes from if it was faint roars built up over generations? This just makes me wonder even more where Gorhowl is. I, I I feel like we should just talk about that for a minute because I like that concept. What do you guys think? See, I don't know that Grand actually had a ton of rage. Mm-hmm. Titanforge, he, he had his Titan, purpose. Yeah, Titanforge tends to be less raging and more... I will now execute my function. And if executing my function means grinding you into the dust, that's what I'll do. I mean, they do have, I mean, we've, we've no, we, you know, Odin being a jerk is like a joke at this point, but <clears throat> Gron was created by, uh, Agrimar to do one thing to, to break down the primals. Um, that's, that was his me- to mission. Basically, you know, finish off the evergrowth. Yeah. To, to Wipe make it, it so that life, life could exist on, on, uh, Drenor without being just food for the, you know, these out of control plant things that would then destroy themselves. Like he didn't even, he didn't want to kill the plants. He didn't want them wiped out. He just just wanted it like dialed back. 
Yeah, it's it's this you know the, the circle of life to to quote an old movie. It's kind uh, of you know, a rudimentary balancing feature, yeah, like, I guess, that he introduced to the planet. Yeah, and so it's possible that you know Gron's nature affected the orcs. I, I certainly think that's a possibility, but orcs are themselves descended from Grand. Yeah, very literally, orcs are descended from Grand because orcs are descended. If you go all the way back. The things that came when Grand was destroyed, it was the Magnaron that that resulted from it, and they were themselves like little Grands, and then every step from there it, it leads to orcs, like you know to, from Magnaron to Gron, from Gron to Ogron, from Ogron to Ogres, and from Ogres to orcs. I mean, orcs are Grand's legacy, so they don't really need the ore to be affecting them because they come from him. In a and way, only, they're making weapons out of themselves. Which is a weird concept to me. Not totally foreign, but weird. But it also, I mean, the difference therein is we didn't really see bloodlusty, ragey orcs that were completely out of control of themselves until they drank demon's blood and cursed themselves, essentially. Like, that's when we started seeing them be completely out of control, when we started seeing them, you know, be rage. But at that point, that's what you expect from anything felt-tinged. Uh, beforehand, I... I don't necessarily believe they, that Black Rock War would make them that way. Yeah, and I mean, did they fight? Yes, they fought. They fought against the ogres and everything. But the, when they called on the elements and the elements crashed down and destroyed, essentially, like the pinnacle of ogre civilization, all of the United Orc clan said, whoa, hey, whoa, wow, okay, well, that's enough of that, and let's just dial it back. And they all went their separate ways. They didn't. They didn't stay a united horde or anything like that. They they saw that display of power and said, "Wow, maybe there are things here that are too powerful for even us to mess with, and we're just going to go ahead and split and go do our thing." Good job getting rid of the ogres, guys. Let's get out of here. So it wasn't. And I mean, it, the bloodlust thing wasn't really a driving force at that point. And I mean, aside from like a few exceptions, most of the clans were pretty chill and doing their own thing until like yeah. forced to do otherwise. Like, they had their own traditions, they had their own stuff, they weren't necessarily rampaging across all of Draenor. That's a bit of an overstatement, in my opinion. There were plenty of orc tribes that were, in fact, pretty vicious and bloodthirsty. They weren't, like, demonically bloodthirsty, but there's the, you know, the bone chewers, um, the, the, the Black Rock, the Warsong. They liked, they didn't just fight, they liked it. They were big into it. Like, you know, the Fenris um, wolf brother and the Thunderlord. D- you know, Draenor is a planet that you kind of get trained by it. The, the planet tells you, okay, if you don't relish combat and fighting and, and displays of strength, you're going to get eaten. Because even with the ever, the ever, you know, the Everbloom destroyed, there's still that. It's a matter of survival. The, yeah. The battle, the planet is constantly in, you know, in, in between the battle of these two opposing forces and it shapes everything around it. Even that's the reason orcs aren't made of rock is that battle has affected them. The spores have affected them. The, the plants had their own version of a curse of flesh, really. Then that's why the ogres, as life descended from Grand, it became actual life. Like Magnaron are mostly rock, and then the Gron kind of have rocky plates, and the Ogron are just big rock, big guys. And it, it's I kind of, I kind of, theor- sorry, go ahead. No, I was pretty much done. Go ahead. I, I kind of theorized in I Know Your Lore a couple of weeks back that 
maybe the reason that the orcs are so kind of in tune with the idea of fighting everything, same with the orcs, same with the ogron, same with everything, is that they're descended from this creature who had one order. He had the one order that he was given. And that was to keep the primals of the world in check. That's that that was his order. That was what Agrimar left him with. And then he left with the intention of coming back at some point. But he never actually came back. So I keep thinking that maybe that's the reason all of these creatures, these descendants of Grand, they're all still responding kind of sort of in one way or another to that and they sort of order to. that was given way back when, you know? But it, but on a planet that's constantly trying to kill you, you kind of have to like that's yeah. sort of that's sort of just the natural state of being. And we talked about this way back when uh, with the first chronicle um, when we were theorizing about what Draenor was and wasn't. Um, and there is that sort of it's a cycle. It's destruction and, and survival and life, destruction and survival and life, so on and so forth. So I mean, at that point, you're constantly at war with the planet. Like it's that's just going to happen. Okay. So the second question here says if Blackrock ore is so special why did everything involve true iron in warlords i felt like it was harder to find required more of it while Blackrock ore was in abundance not to mention true iron isn't even mentioned in chronicles so is it just iron could it be part of grand or just the native metal of draenor okay so this... i think you're trying to way too hard with the crafting system yeah like the crafting yeah. system is not i don't that... think there was that much thought put into it yeah. <laughs> the, the reason they used black rock ore as a special remnant of grand is because it was a cool thing just to, to mention that referenced the expansion i i think at this point you're you know true iron is just okay we need a crafting material better than the other one okay it's true iron because it's you know the iron horde and all that so it made sense it's yeah you know, I also feel like Blackrock is all over the place because Grand was gigantic. He's literally part of the planet at this point. Yeah. The the continents (laughs) that we're walking on are part of them are the corpses of Grand and the Colossals. And the other parts are corpses of those original spore mounds. So. Yeah. Wasn't Gorgrond like the entire entire zone of Gorgrond is like part of Grand or one of his descendants? I think it's part of the Colossals. I'm not yeah. sure. I didn't I I need to go back and double check that. But I do know that like I don't I don't think any of the land that we're walking on on Draenor is original land. <laughs> I think we're just no, walking on a bunch of else, yeah. corpses at this point, which is really kind of creepy and weird when you think about it. But yeah, that that would be why true iron in my mind anyway, that's how I justify it. That's why true iron would be mm-hmm. harder to find is because yeah, it's hard to find in between all of those colossal courses. <laughs> and see, and for me, I kind of approached it when we were doing Draenor, like it was, and, and Rossi will know this, back in the day in D&D when there was uh, Dark Sun, uh, metal was so precious and rare uh, that it was super expensive to find, but you could have obsidian rock, everything, armor, weapons, whatever. And to me, that was always sort of the relationship between black rock ore and then true iron black rock ore at the end of the day while it could be crafted into things was still essentially rock like it's it still has limitations it has brittleness it has you know sort of a a limitation in that regard and iron because it's metal at that point really truly honestly metal will always be better and that's just kind of how i always justified it in my brain okay next question i do remember dark sun oh you do okay Oh, I, I, I do remember Darson. That is pretty much what, how it went. Okay. I don't have anything else to say. I think it was just, it's just a game mechanic. 
Yeah, at that point, I think it's just, you can pretty much go, eh, game mechanic. Okay, next question. How exactly did one access Apexis crystals? Cadgar, and not to mention our heroes, had hundreds of thousands of crystals containing so much ancient Erikoa knowledge that it's sad to think of that knowledge being handed over for a new mount or whatever. Of course, if they're suppositories and good news, everyone happy to hand them over? Um... Yikes, man. I don't yeah. want to think about using a crystal as a suppository. I don't think so. Uh, I, I want to say that probably when that civilization fell apart, you know, all of that Apexis whatever kind of shattered right well, along with it. We know that the uh, we know that the Apex, the, the Arakoa today still know how to access the crystals. Yeah, they do. Because they taught the ogres how. And the ogres know how to access the crystals because they were doing so. Uh, Cadgar obviously knew how to access them because that's how he made the legendary ring was through information he got from those crystals as well as, you know, other things. So it seems to be doable by anybody who knows enough magic and knows the secret, but we didn't know the secret. So yeah, we, they're not useful to us. And not necessarily all of the crystals had information on them either. Like it, it doesn't necessarily mean that every single Apexis crystal we've ever come across in the wild uh, had data hard-coded in it, they could just be natural crystals that are blank, so to speak. So maybe not necessarily uh, they're literally super dumping, important. They're dumping their old floppy drives onto a disk. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> Here There's you go, so many, so many AOL CDs that were mailed out. <laughs> not all of them are useful anymore. <laughs> Something like that. Uh, yeah. So the last question here, while we have an explanation of some of what the Titans did, why exactly were there Titan artifacts on Draenor? What was Agrimar up to? Chronicle makes it seem like he made Grand, then watched him fight. Seems like he was maybe doing other things since we come across discs, etc. It wasn't, the discs and things were part of, if I remember correctly, they were part of the Magnaron? Yeah, which I think to a certain degree might have just been, they might have originally been part of Grand. Like yeah. we don't know, we have no, we have zero idea what Grand was like. Like we don't know what he looked like. He was we real big. That's what we know. He was real big, and we have no idea how Agrimar made him, other than well, Agrimar made him. We don't know if, like, did Agrimar make him out of all these little crystals well, and balls? Two, volume two said that basically what happened was Agrimar took all of those volatile elemental energy, all of the volatile elemental energy that was like outside, not, it hadn't, it hadn't taken physical form because it couldn't because there was too much spirit on Draenor, right? So he took all this elemental energy and kind of whipped it up into a frenzy and then shot that into the biggest mountain on Draenor. And Grand was kind of born of that. Yeah, but we don't know, like, you know, we, we've seen how the Titans do things. We know, mm-hmm. like, we've been to Alduar, we've seen Titan, quote-unquote, technology. We know that they do things with, like, parts. It's possible that he did what he just, we, what you just said, via, like, weird little balls and globes and crystals and whatever. We don't know. You know, it's not do, like we were there. Yeah, I do know that he, it said when he imbued the final col- Colossals, when, when they, when Grand fell there were colossals left over and Agrimar looked at those and said, okay, I'm going to go ahead and infuse those with even more power. So he got discs and he kind of infused those discs with Titan runes and that elemental power and then fused them right, right into the colossals and let them go to work on the last spore mound that was there. Um, I'm assuming that when those guys died, those discs, like the ruined discs and things that he fused to these guys, just sort of fell by the wayside. 
for that matter, since he was there, able to infuse discs into Magnaron. Obviously, Agrimar was watching since he was there to do that, but we know that he left because I remember in the book it talks about how he basically was realized, I got to go. I've got, I'm still, you know, scouring the universe for these horrible Legion thingies and I got to get going. So he took off and you had said just recently how, you know, maybe he had intended, like he'd intend, he built them with one goal and maybe he was going to come back and see how they did and give them well, something else to do. it said in the book, it said in the book that the reason that he left to begin with was because he felt Sargeras doing things and he realized that he needed to go deal with that. So he left, he gave him that order and then he took off fully intending that he'd return after he finished talking to Sargeras, only he didn't finish talking to Sargeras because Sargeras gave him the axe. Yeah, I was going to say, death has a funny way of making you not able to do your obligations. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's it's one of those things where, like, I don't know. I, I always kind of viewed all of the Titans in this way, is they wouldn't just leave their creations without seeing if what they tried to make would do what they intended it to do. It's sort of like a robot builder or, you know, when we program something in current day standards and real life standards, you don't just say, yep, this is good to go and walk away from it and let it run. You observe it and you make sure that the behavior that it exhibits is what you intended. You kind of want to oversee the process. Especially when you're a creature that is so into order and so into making sure things are as you think they should be. I don't think that that any of them would just up and leave their creations behind without verifying that it's doing what they want it to do. What happens after that is a whole other story. But, you know, it's sort of like I made this. Is it doing what I want? Great. Oh, wait, it's not. Destroy it. Start over again. That I can totally see. It's also worth noting that Grand wasn't like the Titan forged on Azeroth. No, he wasn't built like with a very sophisticated multi-stage plan in mind to do something very delicate i don't think agrimar even knew how to do that anyway right well it's like yeah well you know probably i would imagine he would to a certain degree not as well as you know the the actual forge they had not as as well as norganon or golganath but he he knew well enough to do like what he did because he made grand to do one thing grand is if you if we want to use the computer analogy Agrimar is a security expert. He's not a full-fledged coder. He's not the guy that programs, you know, your operating system, but he's the guy that goes and finds bugs and he knows He responds how to, to the that. threats, yeah. Yeah. So Agrimar knew how to design a bug-seeking program, but but everything he did on Draenor was pretty much he went there, saw it, and well, this is really interesting. Obviously, there's no Titan Soul here cuz all the energy that would be going to the Titan Soul is instead making these crazy out-of-control plants. If there's ever going to be life on this planet, that needs to be taken care of. So he wrote a quick subroutine, called it Grand, and left it. And then he's like, ah, oh, I got to go. My subroutine's now breaking down into smaller subroutines. I guess that'll do. I really, I got, I've got so much stuff to do. I'll come back later and check it. Then he gets shivved in the parking lot. Well, let me let me just slap some runes on there real quick on these remnants and make sure to beef them up so they can do what they need to do. And then I'm out of here. And then, yeah. Patch. He patched it and then left, figuring he'd check it. Yeah, <laughs> and then got shifted in the parking lot. <laughs> That's hey, so gruesome. Sorry, I haven't seen. I want car- this to be a web comic. If anybody's listening, I want this to be a web comic. <laughs> Please make this a thing where Agamar's just like working late in the office. He's patching the code. It breaks. He's like, 
uh, okay, I put a Band-Aid on it. It'll, it'll work to the morning. I got to let it run and, and just do it self-analyzing. I'll be back. I got to go to bed. I got to get some sleep. Walks out of the parking lot, gets shivved by, like, a fell bum or something. And then, like, the routine bum. runs crazy. Oh like, it just, it just goes crazy. Like, I want this to be a thing. Please make this happen. But, you know, anyway, I, I think what we're saying is that ultimately it wasn't this. None of this was, like, meant to go this long. Grand wasn't meant to devolve into life forms. You know, they, they weren't meant to be orcs or ogres on Draenor. There were plenty of native life forms that were supposed to come up once they'd cleared the way. And honestly, it, those the, the fact that Grand and his descendants lasted for so long, that kind of affected the rest of Draenor's wildlife, didn't it? Yeah, because now suddenly you've got... At one point, it's even mentioned that orcs are like really good at killing stuff. Yeah. like you know, when, when the ogres... And the orcs come up, they like, you know, they replace brute power with sophisticated savagery. Part of I the mean, reason there's... that the Arakoa civilization did as well as it did was because they flew. <laughs> so they couldn't really get caught. They were up in the sky. They were up too high for anything to get them, whether it was a breaker or a primal. I mean, that's how but they everything survive, else was yeah. kind of hunted. Well, yeah, but that's the spore mounts, too. I mean, we can't forget that the spore mounds were also... That's the reason the Arakoa did as well as they did was because they could also fly away from the spore mounds. Well, yeah, like, they could fly it's... away from everything. I mean, it, I talked about this in, in uh, last week's Know Your Lore when I was talking about the rise of the Arakoa. Part of the reason that the Arakoa even developed as well as they did, well, it wasn't really the Arakoa. It was first you had Rukmar and you had Seath and you had Anzu. And those three did as well as they did because they were avian species. Like, there were plenty of other actual animals out there. It even describes some animals that sounded a lot like Azeroth's version of Ancients. It was like Draenor's version of Azeroth's Ancients. But well, they aren't around anymore. Like cause, huh? Rukmar definitely sounds like an Azerothian Ancient. Right, right. Well, and they, they aren't around anymore. You don't see any evidence of them because the, the primals hunted them down for food. And the Breakers hunted them down because it was kind of fun to hunt them down. And the Arakoa, the the creatures that the Arakoa evolved from, these, these giant winged avian and lizard species, whatever, the whole reason that they thrived and they prospered was because they could fly and they could get out of the way. <laughs> and they knew how to get away from these things. And that was pretty much the only reason that they did as well as they did. Um, Draenor is just weird. I'm, it almost makes you wonder what would have developed had Agrimar actually come back and cut off that program at the appropriate point. Or would he have done it? Do you guys think he would have done it? I don't know because Agrimar isn't like, we, we just got done talking about how he's not a forger. He's not a creator. He's not, he's not the not, most finesse filled. Like, you know, and he wasn't even like, he's kind of like interesting in that he's, he's very much more of a tactician. Sargeras was more of a strategist. Sargeras was like coming up with a broad stroke plan for how to deal with things. And then he'd go to Agrimon and go, okay, you need to kill all the, all the fell things on this planet. And Agrimon would be like, can do. I mean, if you want to go back to that, like analogy, I guess you could say that Agrimon, he, he, he doesn't know how to do any heavy coding or anything. He just picked up some basic HTML from like GeoCities or whatever. Or, you know, yeah. (laughs) Just enough to be dangerous. Oh my God. Draenor was angel fire. See, I, I figured out oh, how to make man. this go. The, the orcs are essentially a big blinky tag going, grar, grar, grar. <laughs> <laughs> but no, ser- like, as seriously as you can get when you're talking about a video game's lore. Um, 
I, I do think that Agrimar basically isn't, he's not a sentimentalist. And I don't think he would have looked at these as being life. And even if he did look at them as being life, he's, he's much more about, you know, he's, he's about defending the Titans creations and, and wiping out threats to them. If he'd come back and seen that they turned into living beings, he probably would be like, well, whatever the planet can support life. Now I got things to do. So have at it little things. And he'd go, I mean, he didn't care. The reason he intervened wasn't because he disliked plant life. It was because if he didn't intervene, everything was going to die. The planet be... would just become this massive dirt ball. It would consume itself. And that, that offended his sense of orderly progression. That's not how it's supposed to go. As a Titan, he found that onerous. And so he acted. But he didn't... This was not important to him, like Azeroth is. This was, this was roughly the equivalent of you going walk, walking on the street seeing like a you know someone has an ant farm and they've tipped it over and let some aphids in there and it's all chaos and you pick the ant farm up and go okay pick out the aphids and close it back up and then walk on your way this is just oh wow that yeah that 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 whoever's yard this is they've completely let voles just infest it well i happen to have this cat here you go (laughs) here have a cat random cat just tossing a cat in there. He, he made a cat out of primordial, you know, fiery energy and threw it in there. It's like, here, have this cat made out of all wild elemental chaos. And then later on, he's like, oh, the cat became a bunch of littler cats. Well, I'll superpower the cat because I'm apparently insane. And now I'll just leave. Okay, have fun, little cats. And and I don't see Agrimar as being particularly invested in the outcome as long as life would be able to be sustained there. You know what I mean? Like he just yeah, I mean, it ultimately care. accomplished. It ultimately accomplished his goal. The minutia of it is inconsequential to him. What happened happened, pretty much. Okay, so the uh, next email here actually kind of goes into the whole evolution of these different species that Agrimar just kind of left there and let do their thing. And this one is from Vanessara of Hellscream, who says, Good evening, watchers. I just finished listening to your podcast on Chronicle Volume 2. Love the conversation on retcons and Rossi's continued commentary on orcs being the gnomes of Draenor. And they are. They really are. Okay. I was surprised not to hear any discussion, though, on the fact that in their evolutionary chain, they transform from beings of stone to beings of flesh. We have a titan-created creature, Grand, made of a fusion of elemental energy and a rock, whose falling chips beget the Colossals. The Colossals beget the Magneron. The Magneron then devolved due to primal spores into half-stone, half-flesh Grand. The Grand then evolve into Orgron, who may or may not be completely flesh. The Ogron then evolve into Ogres, who are completely flesh. The Ogres finally then involve in, evolve into orcs or savage gnomes as they shall henceforth be known. Does this imply that the curse of flesh may be nothing more than evolution of elemental based beings driven by the element of spirit instead of offering up their own vile concoction of evolutionary hot sauce? Could the old gods simply be speeding up a natural process or claiming said process as their work? It sounds like the nefarious kind of thing I would expect from beings that shout, madness will consume you and your heart will explode and Luke I am, wait, wrong IP. Or is this just another one of those, well, isn't that an interesting coincidence? Poor humor aside, I'm interested to hear your thoughts. Thanks, Vanessara. That's a mouthful. So, uh, That Joe, is a whole lot. Joe, what do you think? Uh- Honestly, and, and we talked we talked about this a while ago, and it's something that kind of stuck with me, is that the old gods tend to be imprisoned in areas with which 
they access Titan technology and knowledge more or less. Like, not always. Well, they're but, kind of in I mean, Titan prisons, Titan built prisons. But in, and those prisons, prisons happen right. to butt up against like operating Ex- facilities. Exactly. And so when you have that and you have Yog Saran is probably the best example of this because he is literally in the middle of a Titan stronghold. He is in a, he is in the middle of the Titan facility of Alduar. And there is information there. We know there's information there. We know that there are things that were stored there over these years. There's there's no way there wasn't information compiled there. And it's entirely possible that, you know, the old god tendril slipped through the world, stuck its little tentacle into a socket, read that interesting line that says, oh, this is a natural occurrence. Well, things of stone are a lot harder than things of flesh. Let's speed this along. And that is entirely possible that it was, and we, and we talked about this where, the curse of flesh may not necessarily be a curse. It may just be a natural occurrence of evolution of life as the Titans programmed it all those eons ago. Well, we I've, 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 I'm sorry. I, I was just going to say, like, we, we, we've seen little bits of that. So it's entirely possible that the old gods just said, heck with it. Let's speed this up because I can kill a fleshy thing a lot easier than I can kill something made of rock. I'm going to, I always go back to this. But I, I, always I know go back where to, you're going and go there, please. I always go back to Aldemon. Because in Aldemon, when Aldemon, we now that we know that the way the lore has been set up as of Chronicle One and now Two, Aldemon is the only installation that we've had access to that has a, a record of the you know the, the the Norganon relics that we can say wasn't altered by Loken. Uh, Loken altered the uh, repository up in old in Alduar. Um, he, he in the halls of stone. Yeah. yeah. He, he created the tribunal of ages to cover his tracks because he was afraid Algalon would show up and be like, what did you do? And he was like, Oh snap. I don't want that. But Arcadus and, and Tyr stole the original discs of Norganon right out from under his nose and left with them. And that's those discs of Norganon that they brought to Oldemon which was originally designed to basically just be a like holding facility for earthen and, and mechanomes. Uh, they kind of so, turned it into a mini museum of sorts. Yeah. And when he did that, when you go in and actually access the discs, it says that Azeroth was special, which we now know is true, that they designed the, uh, the, the matrix restabilizing beings used rock and earthen materials on, on Azeroth because of the extensive shaping that they have to do. And, the implication is that on other planets, the Titans have, you know, used fleshy beings. That they've they've actually used flesh creatures in the past, and they just, you know, biomatters. It's actually there if you go and if you go and do the end of of Aldemon, it straight up says biomatter, you know. And in this planet, they used, you know, you know, more endur- more endurable materials, and that got me thinking, like, what if that's the the ultimate goal of the entire Azeroth project is. You'd set it up. You'd use the Titan Forge to defeat the old gods. You'd you'd have. They originally were going to kill them. Remember, they didn't. They didn't send them here to imprison them. They intended to kill them. That's why uh, Amantul reached on down and tweezed out um, Yashraj and just pulled him out of the planet. You know, like like you would a, a hangnail. Only then did he realize instead of a hangnail, he was ripping out the thing's guts. And he was like, "Oh, oh, that was bad. Oh my, I thought that was a mole." I did not realize that that was going to do that. Oh, geez. But the original plan was to kill them. And then once you kill them, you reshape the planet so that it will be better for the, uh, the, the nascent Titan inside. And then you don't need Titan forged anymore. And what do the Titans do to creations that they don't need anymore? Reforge. They, or look at what they did with the dragons. Mm-hmm. 
they change the dragons into dragons, and then what, when the dragons are done and they're not useful anymore, well, I guess that we can stop having dragons then, right? And since dragons are beings of flesh already, you can't make them flesh. That doesn't make any sense. But Here's my question. Make- I'm going to tie this in together and, and put this before you and see what you think. Do you think that the reason that they used creatures of stone instead of biomatter was because of the presence of the world soul and the fact that the world soul was consuming all of the spirit that would have been needed to foster these creatures of flesh. I don't know if it was because it was consuming it so much as they thought it would need it. Because remember, this world soul is bigger and more powerful than any world soul they've ever seen before. Right. And it was drawing on a tremendous amount of spirit, and it was wounded. And it, it was, well... What I'm looking at here, as far as the difference between Azeroth and Draenor, right? Draenor, mm-hmm. that abundance of spirit was being swallowed whole, consumed by the spore mounds, and they were overtaking the planet. So Agrimar put down Grand to kind of nip that in the bud, as it were, and knock all of that back so that the planet wouldn't essentially consume itself. And when those spore mounds died, they released all of that spirit. And that's what caused all of that evolutionary process was the fact that the spirit was out there floating and it attached itself to these Magnaron and the Ogron and the Ogres and eventually mm-hmm. the Orcs, you know, and made all of those things happen. There wasn't going to be any kind of spirit left over on Azeroth, I'm thinking, because the world soul is going to consume it all, theoretically, right? Well, they seem to be like the whole process of shaping the planet seemed to be to make the spirit energy increase. Like they were fostering life. Yeah, so they, they wanted wouldn't, more. They life. wouldn't want to deliberately create anything that would consume more spirit. Is what I'm saying. Would they? That's possible. I mean, that's. I think it was. That's if I had to. But then why not? One, why not reset the current races that are on there then? If that's the goal, because they aren't like, well, consuming that much to begin with. But they're still living creatures. They locked away the elementals. They locked away the elementals that assume physical form. They locked them all away on the elemental plane. So it wasn't like they were going to take any more of it. See, here's the thing. I don't. I don't think that when we're looking at animals, animal life, and supposed to plant life, if we look at animal and plant life on Azeroth, I think we're looking at the wrong way. Like that, that they would take spirit. I think they they generate it. Yeah, they make spirit. That's why they're like little generators. That's yeah. why they built the whole planet to foster life. They wanted more life on the planet, not less. And so I think the reason they used stone and rock wasn't because they were afraid of taking spirit from the planet, but because they needed something that could withstand the, the tending. We're going to shape this planet. We're going to change the course of rivers. We're going to change the course of mountains. We're going to do all this stuff, and we need beings that can do it. Yeah, look at look at the earthen. Look at look at look at the earthen in the extreme temperatures. What what's easier in the frozen north peaks of the world? Beans of flesh or beans of stone that can go, well, I guess this is brisk. Maybe I can't feel anything. Oh, I got a job to do. Let's go do it. And even it okay. says at one point it even says that that's what the Mogu did. The whole purpose of the Mogu originally was river shapers. They carved channels for rivers. And you want beings that are like, you know, stone like you want guys who can go out and just go okay there's a river we carved it for you like and that's the thing with like a lot of the titan forge like the the vrykul were war makers that's what they were for they were for for the uh original war against the old gods but the mogu were not like a lot of the the titan forged the second stage titan forged were there to foster life terraforming yeah exactly uh to use 
I, I've been playing a game where there's a lot of terraforming going on. The different kinds of robots that you design are for different purposes. This robot's a guard robot. This robot is a it's a it's a format it's a fabrication robot. This robot shapes you know shapes the terrain. This robot goes underground. That's what the Earth was originally for. Remember, it even says the Earthen were to go into the deep places of the Earth and change things down there. You know, make make volcanoes not be where volcanoes were going to be. Alter the the flow of the of the planet itself. They, Every Titan race, every Titan Forge race has a purpose. So they made them out of those materials so they could fulfill their purposes. Which is, gosh, no wonder, no wonder Odin was so, like, mad about the dragon flights. Yeah. Because what Tyr was essentially suggesting was, let's take these flesh creatures that are native to this planet and make them do what we were designed to do instead. Yeah, and it's really interesting because Tyr's argument is basically, we are still too big if not physically, in terms of our viewpoint, we look too big. We're missing what These we need. These things is... care about the world that they live on. Exactly, yeah. And we don't because we're made out of rock. It's hard for us to really... I mean, look at you, Odin. Your, your face is on fire. And I don't even know what that stuff is. It's like you have molten bronze coming out of your face all the time. <laughs> you probably don't care about whether or not there's a, a plague killing a bunch of plants. And we've seen do. that. And and that's the thing. We've seen that, especially with Odin. Odin's a great example of that. Like he cares more about his own his own I don't want to say needs, but his own game plan. Status. Than he does what that what he cares about his status, he cares about that more so than what he does to get their causes, right? Like he's very Machiavellian in that way, where it's like he has a purpose, he has a goal, everything else is just minutiae and he doesn't care. So basically what Tyr understood or what Tyr this is actually, this is all part... He uh, understood he didn't understand. Was it understand. Dawn of the Aspects? Is that... Dawn yeah, of Dawn of the Aspects. Dawn of the Aspects. If you haven't read Dawn of the Aspects, you probably totally should. But in Dawn of the Aspects, at the end of it, Tyr kind of comes to this conclusion. And I feel like that conclusion that he came to was, we're too far removed. We don't care about this world because if something bad happens to it, we're not necessarily super invested in it. It doesn't matter. We're rocks. These guys care about it because if something terrible happens to the world, they're directly affected. They're going to die. So maybe we should give them the power to do all of this stuff. Um, Rossi, I know you've done, you've done the class hall stuff for some of these classes that actually go and look at, you know, Tears, what happened to Tear, like Tears' fate, as far the as Paladin. that goes. Paladins do it to a degree. Warriors do it to a degree, yeah. Right. Um, did Tear... I guess I guess I'm not sure how to phrase this exactly. Tear and the curse of flesh. Did he see what was happening? Yeah, because he the he brought the Vrykul down with him. Yeah. Like when when it was Did him, he seem to it, be encouraging what was happening is what I want to know. I don't know if he would I would say he was encouraging it so much as he just dealt with it. Like by the time like the, that the the whole big problem with Loken came around, we had the Vrykul were pretty much flesh. They were flesh at this point. They were not they were not stone. Like the only ones left that were stone. And they were, were the creating ones tiny puny human babies at that point. Yes. Although that might've been a little bit after. Okay. But here's the thing. When, when you basically end up having is you have Tyr, Arcadis and Iron uh, I think, yeah, Iron is the other one from uh, all yes. right? Yes. The, th the three of them were like, you know, really tight. Um, Iron was the one who basically kind of first came to them and said, guys, 
I don't understand what T- what Logan's doing, but it's crazy. Something weird is going on. And, and the Kira's like, well, I wasn't really paying attention. I, I was doing some other stuff. What did he do? She's like, he he basically put all the like giants into stasis, and now he's like made new um, Vrykul who are made uh, out of iron again. And he's like, what? Wait, what? Why did he do that? I mean, we don't really know the whole like what the problem is anyway. Why did some of them start turning into flesh in the first place? I don't know, but we gotta go check it out. So he, they went and checked it out. He's the one that Tyr is the one. Uh, Tyr and Arcadius are the ones who figured out that the curse of flesh was coming from that you know Titan Forge that that Tyr made. I mean, that Loken made. That Loken made the new group of of Iron Vrykul out of it, and that's what started spreading the curse of flesh. It was that from that machine. And they were the ones who figured out that that was what was happening. But they had to stop a whole dragon. There was the Dragon Flare clan. Um, I want to say Dragon Flare. I don't remember what their name is. The, the ones up north. Yeah. Uh, dragon something. Those guys were like waging war. The dragon. The, yeah. They were waging war um, throughout all of, of the area that's now Northrend against the other Rykul. That's where the Paladin Shield, the Artifact Shield, comes from that period of time. One of their champions who was like, uh, he was just killing stuff for Loken left and right. Um, realized I'm completely wrong. We're wrong. What we're doing is wrong. And he went to Tyr and said, I, I, I'm wrong. You should kill me. I've done wrong. And Tyr's like, so you know the truth now? And he's like, yes. Okay, we will make you a shield that will help you, you know, show other people the truth. And that's what that shield is. That's why it can reveal demons. That's the power they gave it. Is that truth uh, Yeah, truth card. Okay. Ironia and Arcadis made it for him. And basically, they, they went and got the discs, and they ran. They were like straight up were like, we can't stop him here. We need to figure go through the discs, figure out what to do. The discs have an Organa's wisdom on them. We'll, we'll, we'll go over it, and we'll figure it out. And Loken was like, if they successfully do this, they can call um, Algalon. And if they call Algalon, he'll kill me. So, yeah, uh, Yogg, uh, I need Tuchithraxi to go kill those guys. And so, you know, that's what happened as they were heading south. Like they didn't just go south in like one little trip. It did. It took them generations to get there because they're, they're Titan Fords. They don't care how long it takes them. Um, but in that time, the Vrykul who went with them had children who then had children. And so by the time they got to Tyrus fall, he had a bunch of humans with him and some dwarves as well. Uh, and because he also had some, some of the earth that had come with him and continued turning into dwarves. Uh, so that basically is the origin of both humans and, and dwarves in the Eastern Kingdoms. It's interesting it's that- to me. The reason that I'm asking about this is because it's interesting to me that out of all of the Titan Forge that were created for the purposes of fixing Azeroth, Tyr seems to be the only one that's really focused on the welfare of the planet. Like, he's the only one that seems to understand the importance of what's happening here with all of these creatures on Azeroth. Like he was the one that was concerned about Galakrond and what that meant for the, the, the proto drakes. And he, well, to, to be fair, it might not just be that he's the only one who's concerned. It might be that the other ones that might've been concerned got jumped really fast. You think? Well, Freya, Freya gets taken down real fast. Yeah, she does. Like they're, they're, they're terrified of Freya. Loken is afraid of what she'll do. Mimiron gets taken down even faster because Mimiron, he kills. He actively kills Mimiron. Mimiron should be dead, but Mimiron's mechanomes were like, oh no, we can't let him be dead, and they built a new body for him. They just kind of put him back together again. 
well, they patterned him after themselves. Yeah. He made them and then they made him at, to look like them. So that's why he's a big mechanome. Uh, and that's why he's crazy because he died. And it's it's hard on a dude to die and then wake up as a robot version of yourself. Uh, it, he wasn't mad at them. He's like, well, thank you for saving me. I'm kind of having a hard time with this. But all of them, like the ones he went after, like he went after the ones who could stop him or, you know, like he didn't he couldn't go after Tyr because Tyr wasn't there. That's the interesting thing. Tyr, because of his involvement with the dragons, and it's it's it should be pointed out too, the dragons helped Tyr against Loken and the Vrykul. Yeah, uh, it was both um, Ysera and Norganon who put the the you remember how the Vrykul were asleep when we got to Northrend? Yes, except for a few of them, but most of them were in stasis. It was Ysera and and Nor and uh, oh god, I can't remember his name. I just said it. Norganon, time guy, time guy, Nosdormu. Yeah. It was uh, Ysera and Nosdormu who put them in, in sleep. <laughs> Time guy. <laughs> uh, Martin Sheen. I don't, you know. <laughs> President Bartlett and Ysera put them in, t- you know, but the point being, yeah, so it, it's not necessarily so much that Tyr was the only one who cared, so much as Tyr is the only one, even even Odin was envious of Tyr. It just, it Odin- feels like Tyr had a certain level of understanding that the rest of the Titan Forge didn't actually possess. Possibly, although again, we, it's hard to say if Freya had it or not. Yeah, we, I'm just we haven't been given enough exposure to that, so yeah. I'm I'm just wondering what it was that made him view all of this when all of the rest of them were obviously so far removed. You know what I mean? Possibly because he'd given up so much for it. Because Tyr, Tyr, first off, Tyr was the one who was actually the best fighter of them. Like when when they the the one who was straight up the best hand to hand combatant was Tyr. Tyr was the he best. He was like fighter. the Sargeras of Azeroth. Of yeah. the Titan second, Forged. Secondly, he'd given up his hand. Mm-hmm. Like he he let the you know he lost his hand to uh, Galakrond and didn't replace it. Like he he just got a silver one stuck on the end. You know, and that's interesting. Like if you think about it, he sacrificed the most for mortality, and it's possible that the reason for that is that the Vrykul and Earthen reminded him of him himself, and that they had the same basic job, the grunt foot soldiers of Azeroth, or you know. It might have simply been exposure to them because that's something Odin didn't have that. Odin only spent his time around very specific Vrykul that he selected as worthy and put into new bodies. Yeah. No? He was Um, kind of removed from the process. And the others, like Thorum's, lived on a mountain. Like, you you, you ever try to go up to Thorum's seat? That thing is freaking high. Like, you go back to Northrend and try and get up that thing. That thing is not easy to get up to. It also fits with the characterization of Tier 2 because if he's. If he's that warrior that's looking out for the, for lack of a better term, the benefit of Azeroth, right? For for looking out for the well-being of the planet. He has you, the compassion that the others are missing. Because he has to see what he's fighting for, right? He's in the middle of it. He knows, that's he, like, true. He, you have your purpose, but there's a difference between, okay, this is my job, and then saying, oh, this is why I have this job. And he had that exposure where most of them maybe didn't. Uh, that's to a much one other thing. There's one no, other thing. The thing I just thought of while you were talking, um, Tyr is the one who wields the light. Yes. Of all of them, Tyr is the only one I know of who directly wields the light. And he wields it so much that humans watching him wield it learned how to wield it. And Ironia and 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 uh Ironia did that too, because that's how they made Truth Guard. They summoned the light into it. So that's interesting, and I don't know what it means. I'm not saying it means anything because I don't know what it means, but it is a fact to consider when you're thinking about what Tyr's compassion. Tyr can reach the light. 
Yeah, because I guess when you look at the whole tenets of the Church of the Holy Light, compassion is one of the big ones on the list. Where it's like, this is how you practice the light. These are the things that you want to kind of encompass. And I mean, the the Church of the Holy Light only exists because of Tyr. Like you were asking, did Tyr protect those? You know, did he was he looking? Was he like? Did he think it was good to have the curse of flesh? I can't answer that, but I can say this: the entire Church of the Holy Light exists because of Lordane. Yeah. Lord Dane is the guy who was uh, Thoradin's friend, the one who was the head of that tribe uh, that lived in what's now Terrasfall. Yeah. And Lord Dane was the one that he couldn't beat. Like, he had to basically go to Lord Dane and say, look, if you join with me, I will, I will let your religion be the state religion. Like, you can spread it to the rest of humanity. And Lord Dane was like, all right, that's a good deal. Okay, sounds good and to me. So, because he beat Trollbane in a fight. Like, yeah. He straight up went out and smacked Trollbane down, but he couldn't beat Lord Dane. And so Lordane was like, all right, well, I've got this order that they guard this, this sacred place and, you know, they'll, they'll spread the word. And that's where the church of the Holy light ultimately comes from. Although it's like way removed, but that's where the whole idea of the light enters into human society from these people who lived right on top of tears tomb and viewed it as holy. Um, and they eventually, you know, they eventually submerged in under a lake to keep people out. I mean, they, they, that lake was not there and they put the lake there. So there's a lot going on here that we don't really fully understand, but Tyr was definitely involved in a lot of human development. And like we have Tyr's hand, we've got, you know, Tyr's fall. These are important locations across the North of, of Lordaeron. Tyr just seems to be the most important one out of all of them. He seems to be the one that has had the heaviest amount of influence on the various living species of Azeroth. Not the Titanforge, but the actual species that evolved over time. Maybe were affected by the Curse of Flesh, maybe weren't. Um, and I just, I find him fascinating. I, I find that kind of fascinating. And I know we've gotten off of topic here, Vanisara, but I do want to thank you for the question, because obviously <laughs> that got us off onto a really interesting tangent. Um we have one question left here, and I do want to get to this one. Um, this is from, I want to say, Faradi, who is a shaman. And Faradi says, I know you guys are still talking Chronicle, but I have a question for 7.2. And honestly, 7.2 just came out, so maybe we should talk about that a little bit. Anyway, it says, that requires Joe's input as a shaman. I will write the question below, which has good opportunity for Anne and Rossi to leave their input. We always do. We will. Okay, it says, greetings, lore watchers. I'm Faraday Goblin Shaman from Hyjal US and proud patron. Thank you. I have a question surrounding the new Legion Fall quest in 7.2. In week three of the campaign, every order hall will find a new champion since this was for... Since this had first been datamined, Shaman have been throwing a fit about their new follower, Magatha Grimtotem. I want to know Joe's perspective as the resident Shaman, what his feelings are about her joining the Shaman Order Hall, given her storied history in World of Warcraft. In my mind, recruiting Magatha is no different than rogues and warriors that would be me and Rossi, recruiting Vanessa Van Cleef and King Yimmeron, respectively. Thanks, Ferrati. Joe, Magatha, please give us your thoughts. I... I am super mixed on this one because depending on what point of view you take, she's either the most shaman of the shaman or the least shaman of the shaman. And the reason I say that is because you look at it from a pure like nature standpoint or element standpoint, she doesn't have the same morality that other shaman impose upon the world around them. It's not so but much. She's powerful. Good. She is super powerful. The elements do respond to her in an exceptional way, and they have since she was a, a young, a young 
child Torrin. But the other problem that I have with her is that she is presented in a way that her entire life uh, is that she has sought personal power and prestige. And that, to me, is one of the least shamanistic things a shaman can do. Because a shaman doesn't care how much power they amass for themselves uh, as long as they keep balance and keep everything the way that it's supposed to be. And going through everything that she's done in the past it's all been self-serving, at least if you look at it as it's presented to us. And we've been given very limited glimpses of, of behind her brain and, and behind the veil of what she presents. So it's hard to gauge, but from what she presents to the world around her and the actions that we've seen her take, the decisions we've seen her make, it has cost one of the greatest chieftains the Torrent have ever known uh, because of her direct involvement. She has forged ties with the Forsaken over her own people, over the rest of the horde, um, in in while you may love the Forsaken, there we've talked about this before. They're not exactly the nicest of folks, and part of that is from necessity. Part of that is also during a time when they wanted to make more of themselves, so they decided to do all sorts of fun, screwy business with all sorts of chemicals. Uh, she definitely didn't have a problem with that because it served her purpose. Uh, when in the comic books, when she comes across uh, Regar and his band. She wants her family to become gladiators for him and gets them to basically fight a large cave elemental uh, that she had summoned, hoping that it would kill the gladiators. And then she could be free to send her, you know, granddaughter and grandnephews off to go fight and gain glory for her in her name in the Grim Totem name uh, under Ragnar that backfired. Of course it did. It, and like even the quest that we see later on from her where she's OK, we free her from the Twilight cult. And then we give her super powerful artifacts. Wait, what? She gets the what? doomstone. What? She gets the doomstone and the mechanism for it. And the, and the doomstone, doomstone is—it's it's basically not a capable. Thing. It's capable of absorbing and amplifying elemental power. It's a little and rock that gives you power over the elements. And this is given to what is arguably one of the most powerful shaman. Yeah, that's scary. And power hungry shaman. And power hungry shaman. That's that's real scary. And the presentation of her in 7.2 is that she's coming back, and, and this is it, as the leader the Torin need. Not the leader the Horde needs, not the leader that anybody else needs, oh. but the Torin leads. And that she is vying for control of the Torin, at least that I feel it. At least that's what I believe her, her sort of shtick is, because that's always been her shtick. I'm the most powerful. I'm the one that has the most foresight. I should be leading my people, Rossi, all of my people. I kind of want Rossi's input on this too, because Rossi's a Torin guy and he well, understands the Torin. What do you think about Magatha making a return? Magatha is kind of the evil character you need to have in your story. Um, she's one of those characters that you want to have around because you don't want to kill her off because then you, you're, you're out an interesting element. She's the one who can go behind the string straight scenes and pull the strings. As Joe pointed out, she's a Machiavellian power player, which people don't often get to see from Torin. People look at Torin and they think they understand all there is to them, that they're basically strong, wise, honorable types. And no, no, no. that came together and they're peaceful yeah. and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. The Grim Totem show you the other side. The Torin are fully aware of just how powerful they are. The Torin look around and say, why exactly should I be listening to you, tiny green thing I could crush with one foot if you didn't have poison on your axe? And you, you come up with an argument. You know, the, the Torin are fully aware of both how physically and how spiritually powerful they are. The Torin are aware that 
in the distant past, I mean, if you look at the Yongol and the Tonka, Torin's spiritual power is sufficient to compel elementals to do their will. They don't have to ask. They can tell. Mm-hmm. Dark shamanism comes from a Torin people. The entire concept of, you know, oh, you, you won't do what I want. Well, I, I could try to negotiate with you some more, but I'm going to make you hurt until you do do what I want. And that's the difference between the Tonka and the Torin, really. But it's not the difference between the Tonka and the Torin. It's the difference between the Tonka and mainstream Shuhalo society. Clearly, True. Magatha is on board with making the elements do what she wants. They're a tool. And, That's what they are. To and her. she's got the Doomstone. The Doomstone is more than just, oh, this weird rock absorbs elemental energy because nothing in shamanism happens without there being a spiritual reason for it. But here's what scares me about that. The Order Hall. Oh, you can't... should be scared. But in particular, because what have we done the entire class campaign has been about reuniting the remaining elemental lords or the ones that take their place and bringing them into uh, bringing them into the fold what do we have physically represented in the order hall direct conduits to the links of those powers they are there on a weekly basis or or whatever they rotate but they are still present where the representatives from each of the elemental planes is there and then Magatha is going to have access to it while having the which, doomstone, which is perfect. Why? Why wouldn't she want that? The the great thing about Magatha is that she gives you a, a view of the Torn as a three dimensional people. That they aren't just strong, noble, you know, proud. They're also clever and scheming. And it goes back to that original Torn creation myth that some of the the Torn actually had to wage war against each other, and that some of the Torn were blackened inside. That's that's in the original Torn creation myths, and it's probably talking about the Yongol. Because look at the Yongol. The Yongol are so warped that they set themselves on fire, and the only element they'll listen to is fire. And their approach to every situation is burn it. I guess that's, my you know, question at this point is, obviously Magatha's coming back and she has a strong statement to make. Why are we letting her come back exactly? Because we are that desperate. Not only are we that desperate, but most of the people that understand who she is and what she is are no longer alive or do not know what she's done because they were Alliance. And the Alliance don't know everything that happened. They haven't got the extent of the whole picture. Well, think about it from the shaman side. Wouldn't Abundo know what happened to to Karen? No. Only if if Thrall told him. And why would Thrall want to talk about that? Or Hamul told him. And why would it, but why would, why would Hummel tell him? Why would any no of them reason. tell him? Well, you think, how often does Nabundo, head of the Earth and Ring, talk to a druid? Not like, at all. They're, they're not in the exactly. same group. But does he and, even talk to Thrall, too? I mean, it's... Well, they talked, there was obviously some conversation between them, because Thrall was in charge of the Earth and Ring for a while. And the only reason why I suggest Hummel is because the Torin and the Night Elves, obviously, they have kind of a diplomatic relationship, and then the Night yeah, Elves but... and the Draenei have this diplomatic relationship. So, telephone... Word might have gotten back, but, but even but even then, at that point, there's probably not because the alliance isn't going to care for the most part at the time of war, right? At a time of war where the this alliance wanted to win, do they care if one of the chieftains, if one of the pillars of the horde died? Not really, because it wasn't the one they were concerned about. It wasn't the one that they were focused on. They were focused matter, on Garrosh. Yeah, and for that matter too, I mean, not only did the alliance work with the Grim Totem during that period of time, 
Like they straight up gave. Oh yeah, there is an alliance. Well, I mean, a non, a non. No, it wasn't an alliance. Really. It was literally like you hate the horde, we hate the horde. We don't want to have to fight here. Here's some weapons, and the 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 Grim Totem were like, okay, we still hate you because you're inferior, but right now I'm much more concerned with that that war of hungry maniac over there who wants to kill my people. Yeah. So we'll we'll go fight him for a while. Thank you for the swords, you know and. The, the thing is, is like, you know, Magatha is very good at concealing most of what she did. Wh- who knows that she poisoned Cairn? Like, of right now, of living Horde members, Bane. And a couple members of the Grim Totem, because there was a couple that went out and, and, yeah. and knew what happened. Because she also isn't so, the one that did that. She didn't do the act either. She had somebody but, else do it. But of living Horde leaders right now, the only one that we know for sure knows what Magatha did is Bane, who is not a shaman. Even Thrall might not entirely know. No, because he had kind of stepped away at that point. Yeah. he well, All he knows is that, you know... Karen died. Karen died. Karen died in a combat to the death. Yeah. The, the okay. fact that, you know... So it's... It, it, Magatha is in a really interesting position, and who knows that she's got the Doomstone? You do. You're the only because one that does. She suckered you <laughs> to getting it. So are you going to tell people that she suckered you into getting the Doomstone for her? Apparently, you didn't feel it was that important to bring up because nobody else knows about it. Okay, it's the other really... thing that I wanted to ask you about, Rossi, because they did bring this up in the email, um, King Yimuron is one of the warrior champions. Oh, yeah. But he's what hilarious. happens when you bring Yimuron in? Okay, all right. When you go, first, you get a quest to go to uh, Maw of Souls. When you get there, Yimuron's a boss in Maw of Souls. Uh, it's Yimuron the Defeated, I think they call him or whatever. Um, you fight him, you, you kill him. And you, you grab an item and you take you basically he's beaten on the ground and he's like, I'll never serve you. And you're like, oh, yeah, you will. You, you're totally going to do what I want. And you go up to, to the uh, halls of valor and Odin's like, why would I agree to bring Ymir on here? He's a jerk. And you're like, you know, you're trying real hard not to like laugh in his face. Like, yeah. Oh, yeah. Ymiron was a jerk. Uh-huh. Um, oh, wait, I got it. I, I, I have a reason that you'll actually believe. If you bring him here and make him serve me, it will be the worst thing that you could possibly do to him. He will hate it. And Odin is like, you're right. He will hate that. Okay. And so you drag Ymiron up bodily to the Halls of Valor. So it's punishment, uh, essentially, yes. for Ymiron. He, he is trapped forever in servitude to you. So it's not it's not like Magatha, who is likely, you know, up there to manipulate people. Ymiron is basically forced to do my bidding because he has no choice like he he, as far as vanessa is concerned for people who are wondering about vanessa van cleef she shows up and she shows up and makes it aware that yes she did get away at the end of dead mind she didn't actually like die she kind of tricked people with all of her rogue abilities and things like that into thinking that she was yes dead um so she shows up and she is meant to be the last person on the council but you take her place because you're better than she is um, and you beat her down. But she's still useful. She's a very useful rogue. And because rogues aren't exactly, you know, the most morally upright people on Azeroth, of course you're going to take Vanessa back into the fold. You're going to keep an eye on her. You're going to watch her back, but you're going to keep her there because she's got skills. And you she successfully got away from the dead mines. I mean, you know. yeah, she's got skills. You need skills. If she's going to say, if she's going to agree to be your champion and, and agree, you know, to, to 
obey, not necessarily obey, but work with you. If she's going to agree to work with you and not stab you in the back, then yeah, you'd rather have her on your side than fighting against you, particularly in a situation like this. I also feel that she would be a little bit different in that aspect because the Defias Brotherhood wasn't necessarily um, hell-bent on evil, per se. They were a product of they wanted essentially to be paid. getting boned. Yeah, <laughs> they, they never got, got paid, and they and they were a result of wanting what was theirs. Yeah. That is completely different in my mind than somebody who's like, man, I could supercharge the stone and destroy pieces of the the world that I don't like. Sign me up. Yeah, Vanessa's essentially Vanessa watched her father die right in front of her, and grew up, you know, among the Defias, raised by her father, who then she watched die when she was a child, and kind of waited and bided her time as she grew up until she could reform the Defias and start things up all over again. And that takes a certain amount of cunning and that takes a certain amount of strategy. And she's not really into the whole global domination thing. She just she's just trying to earn a living for herself. Maybe it's not the most honest living, but, you know. Let's be fair. The the entire original story of Vanessa Van Cleef is a Batman story. It's justice. She wants justice. She saw her, her father get killed right in front of her. The fact that her father was kind of a maniac who was going to attack Stormwind with a, you know, giant ironclad, that's true. And, and it, it does weaken her bargaining position. But nevertheless, okay, she Okay, but that's a little girl who yeah, doesn't who know any better than what died. her father has told her. So, of course, and she's going to believe it. Yeah, her know? father who wants to give back to the people that were, like, they were they are poor as a direct Steal result from of corruption the rich, and give Stormland. to the poor. Robin Hood yeah. story. I'm not, I'm not arguing against it. I'm just saying that's... It, the original the original Vanessa Van Cleef story is the story of someone who is essentially Batman. She's just yeah. evil Batman. That's, you know, that's that's her whole goal. The entire Defias that she built, her Defias, was about revenge on the people who murdered her father. And she basically was willing to do anything to get it, including kill her own foster parents. Like she, So she's, again, she is evil, but you can see how she got there. Uh, you know, it is essentially like Batman. If he decided, you know, I, I'm to willing murder. to do anything, you know, yeah. there's I, like I'm a sympathetic willing... element to her. Yeah, that Magatha Whereas definitely does not possess. At I this was going to say, I have no sympathy for Magatha at no. whatsoever. Yeah. As as a Toran shaman, my gut instinct is to launch her off the side of the heart of Azeroth and watch her flail. <laughs> so I'm kind of interested warrior? in seeing I'm interested in seeing where this develops though because obviously when you bring her in as a champion what you're going to assign her to go do missions and things like that it's not like she's going to have she's some kind of poignant a... so- story you wouldn't think well all but... the new all the new champions have a story that is associated with them yeah that's that's the point so, so she's I want, gotta, I'm wondering what's going to be up with this story is what she's I'm she's got us by the short hairs she has to have us by the short hairs because it has to be advantageous to her that's what I think. And we're going to find out this week. By the time you listen to this, if you listen to this on the website, you'll have experienced it already. Um, for people that are listening to it on Sunday or on Monday morning, this this champion campaign thing, this is what comes out on Tuesday. Everybody's going to get a new champion and everybody will have a new story to look at. So be sure to keep an eye out for that. I'm interested. I'm very interested in seeing how they justify adding Magatha. And what they do with her. And if they're even going to acknowledge the whole Doomstone thing. If that's going to I, even be a factor. I think that's going to be the angle. I'm going to put my money on it. I'm going to say that's going to be the angle with which she weasels her way in. Hey guys, I have this thing we can use. I have this super powerful thing. I'm sure it'll be really useful against the Burning Legion. Maybe. I don't know. Uh, Rossi, do you know who the Warriors get? No, actually, I haven't bothered to look it up yet. 
Okay, well, I guess we'll figure it out. Maybe we'll talk about that on next I, I guess I'll be finding out this week. <laughs> Maybe we'll talk about that on the next show. Uh, but that wraps us up for emails, and that also wraps us up for the show. Blizzard Watch, it's made possible due to the generous contributions at patreon.com slash blizzardwatch. Your continued support means that this podcast site and community is able to thrive and grow. Blizzard Watch supporters enjoy exclusive benefits like early access to the podcast, a better chance at having your questions answered on our podcast or the queue, and an ads-free site experience. Um, speaking of which, if you would like to go ahead and ask a question of Lorewatch, you can email that to podcast at blizzardwatch.com. Um, be sure to put Lorewatch in the subject line of your email so that we know that it's intended for this show. Obviously, you can go ahead and hit us up with any questions regarding 7.2, Chronicle Volume 2, or, you know, the new campaign stuff that's coming out this Tuesday, obviously, because we're all going to be kind of interested in diving into that at the same time. And if you guys like the show and would like to continue supporting the show, Audible's offering a free audiobook download with a free 30-day trial to give our listeners the opportunity to check out their service. You can download a lot of Blizzard's different titles. I know that the Illidan book is in that mix, along with a lot of the more current novels, and you can check that out at blizzardwatch.com slash audible. Um, final thoughts, you guys. What do you think... You know, we got that one question about 7.2, obviously. Um, I'm just curious, because 7.2, obviously, it came out in between these two podcasts that we just did. Um, what do you guys think of the story in 7.2 so far? Joe? Uh, I'm... I'm still kind of you saying Joe you said Joe yeah but you can talk I, I was gonna say I'm just I'm still I'm still plotting my way through it so I have yet to form a cohesive opinion on it yet okay what do you think about the presentation so far Rossi um I like a lot of the non the Broken Shore is fun to play on but I don't like some of the quests and I don't feel like it's really delivered the story yet so I'm I'm kind of like half and half on it um, but I like a lot of the non like the, the artifact stuff is really good like the I've been doing that like kind of right now I'm focusing on the arms artifact and it it's brought a lot of old stuff back like the when quest I went to for the Esher. old artifact power or the new artifact power that kind of thing well, not for the artifact power of the the quest well yeah the, the quest for the new traits to and, unlock yeah yeah and that stuff's been really interesting because it's brought back a lot of old stuff that you haven't seen in a while and given it a new context like the whole Xylan thing is really fascinating so that I'm I'm liking I like the artifact stuff I think they've really done a lot of good stuff with artifacts and lore this expansion and so far it's continuing uh, I'm still waiting to see the raid though I mean the five man's interesting the five man's fun if you want to watch uh, Illidan and Maiev the Illidan and Maiev show has entered into a whole new phase where I honestly don't know if they're going to murder each other or not John, I did really, you do the five man yet? I did. I think they're going to wind up getting married at some point. Like, it's, it's inevitable. <laughs> they hate each other so much that they're just going to be like, wait, I don't hate you at all. Oh, no, they do. They do. Okay, but let's other. ignore those two for a minute. And I know they're very hard to ignore, but let's ignore those two for a moment and go to the final boss of that five man. What happens after that final boss is defeated? Hello. Yeah, yeah. that was kind of a big bomb. That's like, um, did, did you're still here? Okay. It's uh, like her spirit or something. It's an echo that she left behind to inform us very much like we saw in Karazhan with, you know, the echo of Medivh or whatever. Is she that powerful of a mage? Yeah, there, there's there's pieces left behind. Purposely well, she left said that she was going case. to come back and help us, presumably with the raid, I'm assuming. I would hope. Once we well, get we everything have, all we settled have, in. For those that haven't done it yet, I mean, obviously, this is some spoils we warned you ahead of time, but we still have other pillars to place. And I guarantee you, those are places that she marked that we're going to have to interact with. Oh, boy. This is going to be super fun. 
Okay, yeah. So if you haven't done Cathedral of Eternal Night, you should probably go do that. We're just saying. All right. Well, thank you very much, you guys, for listening. And we will see you again in two weeks. <laughs>